say, I'm going to only focus on the positive. I'm going to be aware I'm not sleeping as well. Anxiety is normal in me, so maybe my partner is more anxious too. And if we let the anxiety drive the relationship instead of the potential for love and greater connection, we're setting ourselves up for more anxiety and more struggles. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Be More Well with me, Jeff St. Pierre. This is episode 10. Be More Well is a wellness-focused podcast where I speak to both physical and mental health professionals, athletes, coaches, trainers, and most importantly, people just like you and I. My mission is to bring you information, knowledge, and stories from others about how they found their path to wellness so you can find your own personal journey. No two people are the same, so that means no two paths to wellness are the same. I hope you're able to find some inspiration from the stories that I share each week on this podcast. Today's guest is going to share some amazing information that I believe can be very helpful to everyone right now. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, many of us have been put into a situation where we're spending a lot more time than we used to at home and a lot more time than we used to with the people in our lives, whether that's a partner, kids, roommate, or maybe you're alone. I had the chance to speak with Dr. Jeffrey Greif. He's a professor at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. Dr. Greif has spent many years of his life studying relationships. He's an endless resource on the subject with countless journal articles published in 14 books, including most recently, Buddy System, Understanding Male Friendships, 2 Plus 2, Couples and Their Couple Friendships, and Adult Sibling Relationships. In our interview, Dr. Greif shares some tips and info on how to handle the relationship strain that can come from being stuck together during a very stressful time. Now, before we dive into that interview, I do want to remind you to rate this podcast and comment on it. Doing that will help the podcast powers that be know that you're enjoying what you're hearing. Also, please reach out via social media. I love to interact with people on Instagram. We are at Be More Well Podcast, and on Twitter, we're just at Be More Well. Joining me today is Jeffrey Greif. He's over at the University of Maryland School of Social Work. Jeffrey, thank you so much for checking in with us. I appreciate you. Pleasure to be here. I know a lot of people are facing a very different situation than what they've normally had to deal with right now, and that can impact them on many different levels. Uh, but I do want to kind of focus more on the relationship side of things because I'm sure there are a lot of people that are learning new things about their partner, about their family, as they're trapped in a house with them right now. And uh, somebody directed me towards you because you've got a lot of experience in this world. You've got books out there on sibling relationships, uh, friendships, whether that's between men's friendships or couples' friendships. And you've also got a new one coming out here about in-law relationships too. Uh, before we dive into the interview though, why don't you talk a little bit more about yourself and, uh, and what gives you such a good background on this? Well, I've been doing research in the area of relationships for many years. And as a social worker, part of what social workers do is try to help people with their relationships, both with people in their family, with people in the community, and with people to institutions that are set up to help uh, serve them and to be um, more competent in life. And as we've been going through this situation together, all of us together, I'm sure you've been watching the news and looking things up because you study this kind of thing. What have you been seeing uh, on the topic of relationships during COVID-19? Well, to, to speak the obvious, uh, a lot of our relationships are being stressed mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of our relationships are being strengthened. So uh, depending upon where somebody is in their trajectory with their friendships, this can be a time of uh, great strain on these relationships or a time to connect more meaningfully. 
as uh, Damien Barr is noted to have said, we're all in the storm together, though we are not in the same boat. Mm. So while we're all sort of collectively experiencing this pandemic, we are coming to it from very different positions and have very different resources available to help us cope with what's going on. That's very true. I mean, I think about a lot of the the couples out there that work so hard all the time and they cherish those moments. They actually get to spend time together, you know, on a date night or whatever it may be. And now they're finding themselves together all day long. And it's not to say their relationship isn't strong, but it is different when you're spending maybe 24 hours a day together versus just a couple hours, you know, for dinner and then going to bed. Yeah, I, I'm a big one on establishing number one boundaries around relationships and being very clear about expectations. And I think when people get into relationships and have not really talked them through in advance, they're setting themselves up for more struggles when these kinds of um, pandemics or crises come along in society, unless you have a foundation of saying, well, what are we looking for in our relationship? How are we going to relate? it's going to be harder to have something to fall back on. So that's a present-oriented approach. The other thing to think about, though, is how have families covered or dealt with similar crises in the past? Is there a family history of isolation under stress? Is there a family history of coming together under stress? Um, and how have other family members uh, historically and how are they currently of affecting um, what needs to be taken care of? You know, I never really thought about that before, that, you know, a family that has gone through a crisis before together may be sitting in a better position during a situation like this, as opposed to a family that hasn't before. It's an interesting way to look at that. Yeah, I mean, if you have uh, families where certain family members are in this country and certain family members are, are not in this country, and some of them have, have come over to, to this, this country, uh, there's a certain amount of learned separation that maybe they have dealt with. They've dealt with the, the so-called ambiguous loss of having um, separated from people while still having them in, in one's life. Uh, their families that have dealt with significant illness in the past, mm -hmm. dealt with people being in the hospital, they may be replaying some of the coping skills that they have for dealing with health crises too. I've seen a couple of articles popping up at one from Anne Arundel County in particular, uh, talking about domestic violence cases that have been, that seemingly were on the rise. Have you seen that from anywhere else during this situation? Yeah, there's been a lot of stuff coming out of uh, Europe, too, around the, the potential rise in, in domestic violence. What happens is when people are trapped in their homes, the thinking is uh, that they aren't able to go out and get, get help as easily. Sure. If, um, if somebody has been a victim of violence and their partner, their husband or wife, their spouse goes off to work and they go off to work, they may be seen as somebody who has a bruise someplace and somebody may uh, call that to their attention or they may be able to escape the house at work or not at work and go and get some help. Whereas if you're trapped in the house uh, and you're afraid to go out and you're afraid to leave your partner because where are you going to go and is that going to put you at greater physical risk from a virus? Um, it sets up a cascade of issues that can potentially lead or maintain, lead to or maintain um, a domestic violence situation. It's also true of 
there's a reduction of of child abuse and neglect um, uh, reports too. Hmm. The same sort of thing. Uh, a fair amount of child abuse reports come out of when children go to school and they come across a social worker or a teacher in school who files a report or a school administrator or a nurse uh, or a pediatrician, they file reports that people are not going out and there's abuse. Uh, it's less likely to obviously be reported. Yeah. When people aren't leaving the home, we're not necessarily getting a glimpse as to what the in-home life is like for those folks either. I mean, it's just trapped inside those four walls as opposed right. to getting out there in the public. Yeah. It's an interesting, uh, interesting way to look at that. And now that I want to harp on negativity this entire time, I want to talk about a lot of the positive too, but definitely sure. have seen reports of divorce rates soaring in this situation uh, as well. And that's another, you know, sort of negative effect that uh, unfortunately, I guess maybe we should have seen coming. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Anytime there's a shift in, in society, uh, you're going to have a shift such as this. You're going to have a shift in how people are going to value or view their their marriages. So it could be it could be heading off to war. It could be a pandemic. All these things, societal shifts can cause people to, to reevaluate their, their marriages. Obviously, being uh, stuck at home with a spouse who you can maintain a relationship with if you both go off for the whole day and have jobs and are involved uh, in the evening in meetings or jobs and all of a sudden uh, you're home more, it's gonna raise the issue uh, both from an existential point of view, do I wanna live the rest of my life with this person, but also on a daily basis, um, this is just becoming too difficult for us to maintain a relationship. And like I said, I don't want to harp on the negativity. So let's talk about more of the positivity here, too. This situation, while being you know stuck at home with each other, could be a really great thing at the same time. It gives people a chance to reconnect in a lot of different ways as well. Sure. You get a chance to meet your spouse for lunch, um, whereas <laughs> maybe you haven't been doing that. Uh, it's important to put, um, if one or both partners are, are working still, it's going to be important to put a boundary around that. If I'm at work between nine and five and don't really communicate with my wife of 44 years, uh, should I be communicating with her all the time now? Or do I go knock on her office door? Or does she knock on mine? And trying to talk about those things and work those things through what are the expectations? Is, is she available now all the time or to me? Or do I need to wait certain times because that's just how she needs to get into a rhythm of her work or I need to get into a rhythm of my, my writing? All those things are normal things for couples to have to talk about and work through. And we're just talking about couples. I'm sure we'll get into children, too. Mm -hmm. But just for the couples, you know, what are the expectations? Who's going to do what? Uh, how are we going to get through this? But also a focus on the positive. We can be looking at people and our spouses and having a series of thoughts and saying, wait a minute, I'm going to only focus on the positive. I'm going to have to learn to not focus on things that are more annoying to me right now because we're all more annoyed in general, probably. We have a shorter wick when we don't have the usual outlets of physical contact with friends or being able to go to the gym to having the, the physical um, ability to sort of go and do other things, be with other people. All those things are going to focus more of a of a spotlight on a relationship and you have to figure out that and sometimes train yourself to say, I'm going to only focus on the positive. I'm going to be aware I'm not sleeping as well. 
anxiety is normal in me, so maybe my partner is more anxious too. And if we let the anxiety drive the relationship instead of the potential for love and greater connection, we're setting ourselves up for more anxiety and more struggles. You know, everybody during this time, even the most level-headed person is going to have a bad day here and there. And I will say my wife and I, I think we've got a pretty strong relationship, but we've both had our days here and there. Now, thankfully, neither one of those days has happened on the same day, which has been uh -huh. good. You know, if she's having a bad day, I'm doing okay. But what's a yeah. great way for a partner to support their spouse or their partner uh, when they're having a bad day like that? Well, part of this is to figure out, is this about me or is this about my spouse? Mm -hmm. And if we begin to interpret everything to be about us, that is really in our spouse, then we're going to get into a cycle of responding that way. So it's trying to parse out what is about what the spouse is going through at work or with a normal level of anxiety, concern about uh, finances. No two people ever respond to things the same way. Mm -hmm someone is going to be slightly more anxious about their financial situation or about how their kids are doing or about the pandemic. Uh, somebody's going to want to watch the news more often than the other. You can't be on the same page 100% of the time um, with how you view life. And so if my wife wants to watch the news more, I have to figure out is Am I going to be pulled into that or am I going to say, you go watch the news, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go, go watch uh, something that's very different in a, in a different part of the house. So it's trying to set up our own rhythm and to not be overly drawn into another person's negative rhythm and to be open to be drawn into a positive rhythm. I know we wanted to dive into families as well. We've been talking a lot about, you know, one-on-one -on -one couples uh, more so here, but uh, families are also going through something different too, because now you've got parents, a lot of parents that are working from home and they have their kids that are also trying to learn from home. And that really is a very different dynamic yeah. and that can create a lot of stress for people. I'm sure. Yeah. I think when parents, uh, parents have to be careful about not setting too high expectations for themselves as the teacher at home. And setting up a classroom schedule as they as your kids would have at school is very important. So posting at the beginning of the week, we're going to have art from 9 to 9.30, snack from 9.30 to 9.45, math from 9.45 to 10.15 is one thing to keep the kids online. And that allows, or rather in line, and that allows parents to get into a rhythm too. So having a schedule is very important. Number one. Number two, your kids will not learn as well in most cases at home as they will at school. That's why we have school. Now, there are many exceptions. There are many fantastic parents who are very skilled at educating their kids. You get into older children, higher levels of math and science, it's going to be much harder for parents to help them with their homework. So that's going to be an issue. Um, younger kids uh, are going to require more help doing their schoolwork. Um, so a parent who says, well, you're going to go online for an hour and do your writing assignment. Well, the child may need help, which they would be normally asking for in school. All of a sudden, the child is a little bit uh, lost and is going to have to go and interrupt the parent. So parents have to give themselves a lot of space uh, and their children a lot of space and realize that learning is not going to go on in the same way. But it's very, very hard for parents who uh, need to maintain their jobs from home, 
especially if other people in their workplace are going in and they are working from home, that adds a whole new level of anxiety and a, a certain amount of guilt. Why does um, Mr. X have to go into work, but uh, Mr. Y can stay home? Mm -hmm. And why is Mr. X exposing himself or herself uh, for Ms. X than is Ms. Y who's staying home? So all those things are playing in our heads. How secure is my job? What do I have to do? And then my kid comes and bothers me while I'm trying to ferret all this stuff out. Very difficult times. What about the stress between, say, a parent and a child on a on a relationship level, not necessarily education-wise, but just in general? Now you've got parents that are spending a lot more time with their kids than they normally do as well. It's not just um, from teaching from home, but also just the actual one-on-one -on -one contact between a parent and a child. Sure. The importance of finding ways that your child can be competent, finding ways for your child to be in control of what a child should be in control of, uh, finding ways to appropriately praise your children are all very important um, steps in trying to have a narrative that's more positive. Instead of thinking what your child cannot do work-wise or behavior-wise, spot the schoolwork, spot the behavior that you like, and try and boost that up and highlight that so communications are more about doing as opposed to not doing. And that helps you similarly to the rhythm you get into with your partner. Let me think about what I like about my partner, not what I don't like. Think about what my kid is doing. Can help to tamp down some of the anxiety that parents and children may have about how they're doing. If you're a high school junior and you're preparing to, sure. hoping to go, to go to college next year, that's a whole you know, new level of of stress, the supports that are usually there to help you are, are not there to the same extent. So there are all these future um, anxieties that might pop into your head. Will my child get into the same college that she would have gotten into uh, now that we are financially more strapped or she is um, not as strong educationally working from home as she would be getting ongoing support from this very important teacher at school who is now speaking with her five minutes a day as opposed to uh, 40 minutes a day. I do like how a lot of what you've said today kind of revolves around shifting the focus. And instead of thinking about what's not happening, thinking about what is happening, you know, it, it is something that I've been trying to work into my life more and more on a daily basis anyway. And it really, it's very helpful to look at the world that way. Yeah, we want to think about what people are doing, not what they are not doing. The other important thing to think about is what is the family narrative that we want to build or what's the couple narrative? Now, let me talk about the family narrative. Yeah. We will go back to school and life in some form at some point. Mm. That's obvious. It may look different, as we all know. How do we want to look back on this time? How did we handle April and May and March? How did we handle going through these things? What kind of family are we? Um, are we a family that pulls together? So jumping ahead to September, October, how do we want to look back on this time and said, you know, it was a really interesting time. It's a really tough time. We use this time to do this or to do that, whatever you want your family narrative to be. Sometimes it's helpful to project yourself into the future and to look back and say, I'm really proud of the way we handled this crisis. Mm. 
So that's about building a family narrative that we can use for future crises if they come up. Hopefully they won't. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed that we don't have to worry about that. Dr. Greif, we've talked a lot about families and about one-on-one relationships, but we've got people that spend a lot of time with their friends on a normal basis too. And those friendships are not in contact as much now either. And I know you've written books on this subject. So what are some ways that those relationships can be strained? Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I talk about in Uh, my male friendship book is about the fact that men tend to construct shoulder to shoulder friendships while women tend to construct face to face friendships. So men like to get together and do things. We like to go to the sports bar and watch the game. We like to get people over to our house and watch the game. We like to go out and do sports. It's not to say we're not comfortable in face-to-face interactions, but in general, writ large, women tend to be more comfortable having face-to-face conversations. Let's get together over a cup of coffee. Uh, There's an intimate French restaurant that just opened up. Why don't we meet for a dinner and a glass of wine? Men are less likely to do that. So now all of a sudden, you and I are forced to do face-to-face stuff unless we get together and have our phones there to watch the game. But guess what? There's no game to watch. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things that men talk about revolve around sports uh, and revolve around doing things. So men are all of a sudden left to only communicate this way. And I think it's harder than it is for women who are going to get together uh, with a group of, of their friends over FaceTime, do a Zoom meeting of of women, I don't know if men are doing that to the same extent. I haven't seen any data on that, but I know my wife has gotten together with two sets of women friends to talk from time to time, and I have not done that uh, except to play play cards. Well, we're getting together to play poker by by Zoom. We're doing something. They're getting together to talk. So I think that may make it harder for some men to find enough things to talk about when we're used to being together around an activity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It almost something like you need something to get together for. You need an excuse to get together versus just like, hey, I want to chat. Let's give each other right. a call. I do think that the time that we're having this crisis is probably the the best situation that we could think about because we do have so many options for communication now than yeah. we ever have before. And I think that's that's probably helped a lot of people, especially those that are feeling very isolated by this situation. You know, me, I, I don't mind being at home. I don't mind hanging out with my wife and with my dogs at my house and working on things, but I have a lot of friends that they are going crazy inside their house right now. Right. No, exactly. And there are a lot of people that are living in very close quarters and they do not have space to themselves. Um, Imagine being a single parent with three kids in your house. Imagine being a single person in in a studio in a new city, in a new city, and there's no place to go. And you're afraid to walk down the hallway uh, and so on, and you're stuck in a in an 800 square foot space um, with without a lot of contact. And how much can you look at your phone or your computer all day long uh, to communicate <laughs> with, with with your with your friends? So there's also that that issue. There's a you know much greater strain on people that are alone or do not have a lot of social contact. We know in general, people with um, larger social networks are happier, healthier, and live longer. 
So the smaller your social network, according to large panel studies, the greater you are to be at risk. Now, obviously, being socially isolated, though, or distancing has a health benefit from a physiological point of view, but it can be a strain on your mental health. I have a really good friend that uh, got out of a relationship, a long-term relationship, and was just starting to feel ready to dive back into the dating world. Uh, and he's been living alone for a while now and just thought, you know what, this is I'm ready for this. And then all of a sudden this strikes. So now here he is feeling ready to get back and communicating and having relationships with people. And now he's forced and stuck into a situation. And I imagine that's going to be difficult for a lot of people too, because it takes a while to get your mindset into that place to say, I am ready to get back out there to the world. But now the world's telling you can't. Well, let me offer you a different view of sure. what you just told me. Your friend is in a fabulous spot. So let me tell you why. Yeah, your explain. Friend... <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you why your friend's in a fabulous spot. This is a great time to start to date again and, and get to really know people without the, the frame of sex being there. Mm. So instead of being out on a date and say, well, on the second or third date, we should start to kiss and do whatever here we we can't do that and so we are compelled to try and get to know each other better to talk more to discuss our hopes to talk about our fears get to know each other a lot better without the the images that we have in our head around at what point um does sexual intimacy start so i think it's really a great time to start a relationship that may be more meaningful and more lasting but until we find out you know the outcome of this sort of, of new form of dating. Um, we're not going to know if my, you know, positive hypothesis is true or not. <laughs> uh, Dr. Jeffrey Greif, seriously, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to chat more with us. Uh, you're still teaching right now in this situation, yes. right? How's that been yeah. going for you? I know teachers are feeling different vibes from different people, but. Well, I'm the kind of person that always loved doing in-class um, contact. I have classes of two classes of 25 students and I love the vibe of being with people to be able to read the nonverbal cues of my students and knowing that I need to explain something again or somebody reacts to something that I say and I can say, you just reacted when I mentioned this. Can I ask you to talk more about it? And I lose that when I'm teaching online, but I've, I've adapted and I anticipate teaching this way in the fall. Well, I know before we started the interview, you mentioned to me that you have a book coming out soon, and it's about in-law relationships. Do you have a title or a release date you want to throw out there? It's going to be called, surprisingly enough, In-Law Relationships, <laughs> Mothers, Daughters, Fathers, and Sons, because we have information on sons-in-law and fathers-in-law, which is pretty new information. Mothers-in-law and daughters-in-law have been the focus of books in the past. Uh, we're also shining a light on how men handle this relationship. And it's coming out from Oxford University Press in November. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to seeing that. Dr. Jeffrey Greif, thank you so much for taking some time and uh, telling us more about all this. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Jeffrey. Take care. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Jeffrey Greif for joining me today. So much incredible information there that I hope can help you navigate the tough times that we're all facing. It means so much to me that you take time out of your day to listen, to be more well. I'm Jeff St. Pierre. Before I go, I want to remind you to rate and leave a comment on the podcast. Also, don't forget to reach out via social media. It's Be More Well Podcast over on Instagram and just Be More Well on Twitter.